I want us to go to the book of Mark, chapter number 11, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to kind of work my way through some things tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you for praying for us um, while we were gone. Uh, it is always difficult to be gone, especially, uh, especially with our girls not being with us, but it was, it was so good to have my wife with me, and uh, I was just elated that bishop was able to come out and spend, it's only two days really, but uh, um, the Haney's can tell you that two days on a three-hour time change will mess your world up. <laughs> so it was a major sacrifice for Bishop uh, to come be with us, and I'm, I'm glad that he did. And then he came home and preached like this house was on fire on Sunday, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you for loving the kingdom of God and having a, a broad global vision. Amen. Let's go to 11 and verse number 11, and then I'm just going to kind of move through with you here. <coughs> and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves. Everybody say leaves. He came. If haply he might find anything thereon, when he came to it, what did he find? Nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. In your Bible, you'll notice that yet is perhaps italicized. This is inserted for the reading of English language. So in the text, it was not there. It said that the time of figs was not. And in the English breakdown, it said that it was not yet somehow insinuating that it was an early, an early time that the, 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 the season of figs was getting ready to happen, but it just hadn't yet, you know. But I'm going to talk to you about this in just a minute. Jesus answered and said unto it. Unto what? what what's he talking to right here? To the tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Okay? His disciples heard it. Verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree that he had spoken to yesterday morning. And it was dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Jesus answering saith unto him, unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he hath said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, 
What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespass. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Amen. There's some dynamic lessons to be learned in this chapter, and we're going to just spend a few minutes here together tonight. God bless you. You may be seated. The context of this chapter is so vitally important to our understanding of what Jesus is trying to teach here. There is uh, quite a bit of misconstrued doctrine that finds its source in this chapter on what prayer is all about. Now, if you start reading through the Gospels, you discover uh, that when Jesus deals with prayer, oftentimes, for example, what modern Christianity calls the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus is teaching, when you pray, pray after this manner, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There is some understanding that Jesus is dealing with, and a lot of times when Jesus starts talking about prayer, he begins to deal with prayer by things that are left out of prayer that should be prayed by people when they pray. He is dealing with uh, a legalistic spiritual mindset that is tainted with carnality in these people that have learned to use prayer as a key to manipulate the hand of God somehow. As if you can say whatever you want to say and then God has to just honor that because you prayed it. And so he starts dealing with these Pharisees and he starts dealing with his disciples especially and teaching them the power of prayer when he says to them, when you pray, pray after this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Somebody said... That's exactly how we're supposed to pray when we pray. We're supposed to say that prayer exactly, and I think we've missed the point. The quote-unquote Lord's Prayer is not the verbatim word-for-word prayer that I'm supposed to pray when I pray. These are the things that I'm supposed to be praying when I pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So what's he saying right here? He's in heaven, he's God, and you're not. You acknowledge his holiness. You acknowledge his highness. You acknowledge... Who he is. He is above the earth. He is seated high and he looks low. Hallowed be his name. He is a holy God. Acknowledge that when you come to him. Don't come walking up to him. Jesus is saying this. He speaks in parables and and types and shadows. And he's speaking to them saying, don't just walk up in here and say, okay, God, this is what you're going to do for me today. He said, when you approach him, you approach him as your father in heaven and not a genie in a lamp. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are a holy God, and I'm coming to talk to you. And he said the next thing that needs to be very clear after you have blessed his holiness is to say to him, thy kingdom come. Now here's the principle that Jesus is trying to get to them. If his kingdom comes, where does my kingdom go? In order for Christ's kingdom to come in my life, my kingdom has to go. His kingdom does not coexist with my kingdom. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Is there anybody in here that feels like sometime in your life, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to be truthful. Anybody in here that's ever felt like you were going to try to help God do his job? Your pastor's guilty of it. I get in a hurry and say, God, this is exactly what needs to happen, and this is when I need it to happen, and this is how it's going to happen. And I get done praying, and I'm like, are you a big dummy? Listen, I know that on our history line, our, our timeline of history, we're looking probably somewhere in the neighborhood of around 6,000 years, okay? That's as far back as we can trace biblically understanding historical records, somewhere in that neighborhood of about 6,000 years. But here's something we cannot forget. There's a lot of things about history that we don't understand. But God did not just start being God when history started. God was God before He ever created. He was not created. He does not have a beginning. He is not just an eternal God. He is an infinite God. Eternal things have no ending. Infinite things have no ending and they have no beginning. So before there was ever time, before there was ever creation, before there was ever an angel, before there was ever a devil, before there was ever a need, there was God. And so I am nobody in no place at any time to be telling God how he needs to handle my business or his business. And the Lord said, when you pray, you need to approach him as a holy God and let him know that his will is the will that needs to be done in your life, not in heaven as it is in earth, but in earth as it is in heaven. You don't predicate on earth what the will of God is in heaven. But what is on earth must come in alignment with the will of God in heaven. And so this segues us into what I want to teach you about and talk to you about tonight. There are some powerful things that Jesus does that if you're not careful, you will overlook and just walk right by them. So Jesus is dealing, as he enters into Jerusalem... With some pretty heavy stuff because he's got some things on his mind that he is getting ready to enter into that is most uh, undoubtedly the heaviest weight that any human being has ever had to carry on their shoulders. As he rides in to Jerusalem and they are crying out to him and laying their clothes and their, uh, their branches cut off the trees down on the ground in front of him. And he comes into Jerusalem and he, he jumps off of that, uh, that, that donkey. It's like you can kind of just see the picture that he rides up to the front steps of the temple and he jumps off and he sends his men away to take the donkey back to the owner and do what's supposed to do. This is all fulfillment of prophecy that we don't have time to get into tonight. But Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the day of the Lamb, Nisan 10. This is the day that men are to be bringing lambs from their house that they have kept getting ready for the Passover and they come into Jerusalem. They bring the lamb for the priest to inspect the lamb and to be sure that the lamb is a lamb without spot or blemish. And uh, how many of you know what I'm talking about tonight? Okay, we're talking about getting ready for the Passover. The lamb has to be pure. It has to be right. So on the day of the lamb, Nisan 10, as everybody is bringing their lamb into Jerusalem, the lamb of God comes riding in on a donkey and the first place that he goes is to the temple. Why does he do that? Because it's fulfillment of prophecy. He is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the, of the world. So he comes in and he goes straight to the house of God. But when he gets to the house of God, there were some things that really, really troubled him. He does not like the business that's being done at the temple. 
Now, we could teach about this for a long time, but it's not of necessity tonight because I want to stay very focused on where we're going. But the, the, the principle is very simply this. This was a time of year when sacrifice was supposed to be coming from the home. But instead of coming from the home, people were buying what they used to raise. It was an order of convenience. That why would I invest in sacrifice at home when I can just come here and buy it? It is a picture of the modern day church that if you pay tithes and you've paid your dues. So you just pay your dues and get blessed. That's what it's all about. That couldn't be further from the truth. However, Jesus walks up to this fig tree because he sees it from a distance. There's some amazing things that are going on during this whole season. But I want to focus on a couple of deals right here tonight that I feel can help somebody. He looks off in the distance and he sees a fig tree that has leaves. So he makes his way to the tree. Now, Jesus is born and raised a Jew. He understands the times and the seasons. That's why he came to Jerusalem when he did. That's why all this is happening while it's going on. So Jesus knows when the time of harvest is. He knows when the time of the fig harvest is. He knows when all this is supposed to be going on. So if you look kind of in the background of this story, you can see there's a little surprise on the face of Jesus when he looks up and he sees a fig tree that has leaves on it because this book that I read to you tonight says that it wasn't time for the fig. This is an off-season time for a fig tree to have leaves on it. Somebody shout timing. The timing with God is everything. His seasons, the way that he moves, the way that he works, it's everything. And so Jesus comes walking into the city and he sees this tree. It's not supposed to have leaves. It's not supposed to have fruit. This is the time of year where it should have just been dried branches. But when he looks at the tree in the mind of Jesus, and there's no way for us to get in there and dig it out and ask him, you know, maybe someday if that's the first thing on your mind when you get to heaven, that's cool. It's probably not going to be my first question to say, why'd you curse the fig tree? But I think there's some things that we can pick up in this story tonight that are of value. This was a, a, a tree that was green out of season. And so when he walks up to the out-of-season leaves, he inspects it to find, is there anything on here? And it's as though it's speaking to us off the pages of this book, especially as you continue on into the story to see what's happening in the mind of the image of the invisible God. When he says, I will not have things giving off the wrong signals in the wrong times of the season. It is a lie. For people to walk by this tree and think that because it's got green leaves on it, that it's got fruit on it. Whew. There are people that serve God that are leaf-bearing trees. 
And they have leaves on their tree in seasons that they shouldn't even be having leaves. But you find out that all the leaf is doing is hiding a problem that cannot be seen without inspection. They have leaves that cover up where the fruit is supposed to be. But if you take a look behind the leaf, there's no fruit. And Jesus is trying to teach a principle to his disciples. I'm not in this for leaf-bearing trees. I'm looking for people that know how to bear fruit. I don't want people walking around with leaves on saying, look at me. I'm spiritual. Look at me. I pray. Look at me. I fast. He said, people need to know you by the season of your fruit. Stay, stay, stay right here with me. I, I'm, you won't find too many commentaries that are going to teach you what I'm teaching you right here tonight. There is a principle in this tree and in the action of Jesus that I think we must give our time and our energy to understanding. The preacher said it in Ecclesiastes. There is a time and a season to everything. But time and season set cycles for so many things in life. And there are people, if I could just say it bluntly, that they do not live the kind of life that's going to produce fruit. They don't pray. They don't fast. And when they do, it's with impure motive. And it's to twist the arm of God. And it's to try to get their way with God. And the Lord is showing the disciples through this right now. This is green out of season. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you cannot reap things that you have not sown. There's no reason for green leaves to be on here out of season. And so you look at people that present to the world a green leaf kind of blessing life. It's prosperity doctrine. You need to be green all the time. You need to be green all the time. But let us take this back to the book of Psalms chapter 1 and let's deal with how trees work in seasons. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. Right? And in Psalm 1 he said, And he shall be... Like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Now this is powerful. That bringeth forth his fruit. In his season. There will not be fruit out of season. But people that don't. Understand the power of sowing and reaping like to have leaves because they hide the fruit or the lack thereof. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But prosperity doctrine says you don't have to be planted. You can just prosper. You can just have fruit whenever you want fruit because you reach up and tell God you're going to give me fruit right now. I just have one question for people that live like that. How's that working out for you? How's it working out for you to just tell God how he's going to bless you, when he's going to bless you? Now you tell God because I'm faithful and I sow my tithe and offering in the kingdom of God, you're going to bless me right now and there's going to be fruit in my life. Probably not going to work out real well. Because the psalmist said the blessed man 
doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of the sinner. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. He delights in the law of the Lord, and he delights in the law of the Lord day and night. He's not delighting in the law of the Lord, hoping to be reciprocated some fruit. He's delighting in the law of the Lord day and night, meditating on it, and fruit is a byproduct of righteousness. I want to tell you tonight that leaves are not the byproduct of righteousness. Fruit is. And the Lord says, I don't want there to be trees, my children. This represents Israel. The fig tree represents his people. It represents Israel. He said, I don't need a bunch of people walking around with leaves on out of season and trying to make the world believe that they're fruitful. You're either going to believe that I am he or you're not going to have any fruit. And so he, he, he begins to deal with this and and this is this is so very powerful this principle has got to be it is it has absolutely got to be uh grabbed by your faith tonight so he walks into the temple and what does he do he overthrows the money changers the the tables he's cursed the tree why because it's a fruitless tree and he's saying "I, i i don't like this i don't like green out of season and i i don't like it when it's not bearing fruit, when it's supposed to bear fruit. And he walks into the temple, and what are, what are people doing? They got, they got leaves on. He says, I, don't, I just showed you I don't like this. And he flips it over, and he says, get out of here. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And I don't want, I don't want to get stuck here, but the next, the next day, my house shall be called a house of prayer, made it a den of thieves. The next day, the next morning, they come in, and there's a fig tree. Now, let's take a look at this fig tree very quickly. Verse 20, Mark 11 and 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the leaves. Is that what it says? Why doesn't he just fix the leaves? Why doesn't he just take the leaves off? Because the leaves are superficial. He's a God that does not deal with issues that are perimeter. He, he's not a God that just deals with stuff on the periphery. He does, God is not shallow. He's not just going to strip the leaves off. If he wanted to do that, he could just stand there and pluck the leaves off and say, no, it's not your season. He said any tree that's got leaves on it out of season has a root problem. So he doesn't curse it from the leaves down. He curses it from the root out. Because the problem in the temple, listen to pastor, the problem in the temple was not the tables. There was a root problem in Israel. And just flipping over the tables doesn't fix anything without leaving them with a message. You have turned this into a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Here's the problem. Here's the cure. Calling for repentance. Don't just come in here and do what you want to do. It's a den of thieves. I've called this place to be a house of prayer. So we're going to bring this around and make it a house of prayer. Now, this morning as they walked by the tree, Peter's mind is blown. You can tell by the way that, that, 
that he's uh, talking to the Lord. And he says, Lord. Now, I know King James is a little less dramatized, unless it's Alexander Scoby reading. He says, Lord, behold the tree that you cursed. Look at that. I can't believe it happened. You said it and it happened. Look at the tree. That's the tree right there that you cursed yesterday. It has withered away. And Jesus says, have faith in God. How weird is this? Uh, Lord, look what you did yesterday. You cursed the tree. And when you look at this, this is where the prosperity message begins. Have faith in God. And men will say right here, see, if you got faith in God, Anything is possible. As if Jesus is saying right here, oh man, if you can just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and just, oh my Lord, this, this is what God's going to do, then it's going to happen. I think we're missing it. This is, not, this is not an admonition to him to grow his faith. He is making a commandment to him. Have faith in God. What do you mean, Jesus? I mean your faith has got to be more than what you say. You've got to have faith in God. You've got to have a belief system that is so much deeper than leaves. You've got to have a faith system within you that has faith in God. Not faith in mountain moving. But faith in the God that can move mountains. If we're not careful, we're going to start getting to the place... As prosperity people that believe prosperity movement. That you've got faith in the miracle and not the miracle worker. And we start laying claim to promises that really do not belong to us. I, I know this is not popular. I don't expect anybody doing backflips down the middle aisles tonight. But I want to tell you that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into and find safety. Well, that, that's, that's isolation doctrine. No, it's not isolation doctrine. It's scripture that there are places that are reserved only for the righteous. And you don't have access to the realm of the miraculous just because you say, oh yeah, I have faith in God. Jesus was looking at Peter and he said, have faith in God. Build a structure in your life that believes in who he is. In the structure of who he is. Not Listen, he did not say have faith in what God can do. He said have faith in God. This is the power of understanding who he is. You've got to know him to have faith in him. Who is it he's talking to? He's talking to Peter. He's talking to, the, to, the, uh, to, to, to Simon Peter that flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee but my Father which is in heaven. He's talking to him about the revelation of who he is. Have faith in God. Got to believe in him. You got to have a system built here. I have prayed for you, Simon, because the enemy hath desired to sift you as wheat. But what did he say to him? I have prayed for thee that you're... What? That your faith fail you not. So Jesus says, have faith in God. What, why, why, why would you say that, Jesus? Because, Peter, your faith is getting ready to be attacked 
You're going to face things in the next few hours, in the next few days. You're going to deny me. You're going to go through ups and you're going to go through downs. And you've got to have a faith that when you're through being Peter and acting foolish, that you're going to come back and repent and your faith is going to be stronger than your failure and you're going to stand up and do something for me on the day of Pentecost. Can I tell you right now, you've got to do more than just believe that God is a miracle worker. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. First, you must believe that he Why doesn't it just say, just believe that he's rewarded them to diligently seek it? Because that's not faith in God, that's faith in his reward. Can I break it down one more step and tell you, you've got to serve God for more reasons than the fact that you just want to go to heaven. Your walk with God cannot just be built on the fact, well, I don't want to go to hell and I want to go to heaven. At some point, you've got to fall in love with him and say, you created me in your image you formed me after your likeness. I want to be a child of God. I want to fall in love with you. I want to do what you've called me to do. And when you're finished with me, God, you're finished with me. But in the meantime, I don't want to walk around with fake leaves on. I want to be a fruit. Ba- I don't want to have a root problem. I want there to be fruit in my life. Have faith in God. This almost feels out of place. And it's so misconstrued because of what he immediately goes into. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain. What mountain? More than likely the Mount of Olives. It's where he's standing. He's more than likely standing right here by the Mount of Olives. And he's using this as an analogy. That whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. What's the closest sea? The Sea of Galilee. Miles and miles away. So the Lord is using an analogy of a mountain that's so big, you're not going to ask it to be moved. And a distance so far that you're not going to ask it to be removed there. What I'm saying to you is, Jesus is telling his disciples right here, You've got to have a faith system that believes me for bigger things than you could ever dream. There's nobody in their right mind that's going to stand in Jerusalem and look at the Mount of Olives and say, be cast into the Sea of Galilee. But you've got to have a faith system in God because you know that God is the one that created that mountain. And God is the one that created that sea. And there's nothing too hard for God. But don't let your faith just be built on what that God can do for you. Get a faith in God. Now, you say, be thou removed, but cast into the sea. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, here comes... The introduction of so many false doctrines. Therefore I say unto you that whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Church family, I, I, I want to get this to you. I'm not going to teach a long time tonight, but I've really got to get this to you right here. 
the faith system in God has to be established before the asking. Why? Because when you have faith in God and not what God does, then you have to understand His character. I'm trying to teach to you right here. And when you understand His character... You don't start asking him for things that are outside of his will for your life. I, I've, I've, heard it, I've heard people misconstrue this chapter. I'm talking about chop it up into a billion pieces and say, See, man, you just ask God for whatever you want in your heart. You just, man, get it in your heart and ask God for it and he's going to give it to you. No. Your faith system is built on a, on a completely wrong structure. You have built your house on the sand. He's saying to them, I can do anything. There's nothing too hard for God. If I want to move this mountain and throw it in the sea, I can do that. But if you've got a belief system in me, a structure of faith that is built, have faith in God. If you've got the right structure of faith built in your life and a revelation of who I am, mountains being cast into the sea don't matter to you. There's going to be some different kinds of things in your heart. Don't worry about carnal things. Don't. Don't, don't you be walking around saying, well, I'll tell you what. I asked the Lord in my heart to give me a brand new car, and God's going to give it to me. Well, look at, let's look at your record. Because if you're going to have faith in God, that means you have faith in his word. And what his word says, you won't compromise on it. And you're going to have faith in God and faith in his word. And his word says that if you're going to be financially blessed, and the devourer's going to be kept from your door, that you've got to seek him first. I'm fixing to walk some places right here where angels dare to trod, but I've, I've preached this in front of a house full of preachers before and wasn't too intimidated about it. We got some, we got some folks that are quick on the gun that just because somebody says something in a prophetic manner and it doesn't happen, then they immediately label that guy as a false prophet. Well, we better be careful. Because the promises of God are conditional. I'm not saying there's not false prophets out there. That's biblical too. I'm saying you better exercise some discernment. Because if, if you see a man of God that comes to somebody and says, The Lord is going to bless you financially. Let's just use that because that's the one that makes everybody uncomfortable, right? God wants to bless you financially. And then that person goes home and says, Well, since God's going to bless me anyway, I don't have to pay my tithes. Well, guess what? He's not a false prophet when it don't come to pass. You're disobedient to the word of God because you don't have faith in God. You have faith in the word that God's man gave you, but you don't have faith in God. Am I making sense right here? You can't lose faith in God and just have faith in the promise. What? Let me ask you, what does faith look like? You got to draw a picture of faith. What does faith look like? I believe it looks like Abraham taking his promise, walking three days to a mountain, saying, Lord, if this is what you want, if this is what you require of me, I'll do it. Why? Because Abraham did not have faith in the promise. He had faith in God. God wants to heal your marriage. A prophecy comes forth. God wants to heal your marriage. And you go out kissing on somebody else. 
Well, guess what? He ain't a false prophet. You can't control your flesh. Boy, I'm telling you right now, it's thick up in here. That man right there is a false prophet. He told me God was going to bless my finances. Well, look at your record. Do you have faith in God or not? Look back and see how faithful you've been to God. Does your belief system of God, is it wrapped up in the fact that you received a prophetic word? Or is it wrapped up in the fact that that prophetic word doesn't mean more to you than God does? And if you've got to take your Isaac, that prophetic word, and lay it down on an altar, you still believe in God even if that goes away. I believe, I believe, I believe. What do you believe in? Do you believe in mountains moving or do you believe in the one that created the mountain? I say unto you whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Oh, now I see, Pastor. So I can just believe in my heart and say, God, I deserve a bigger house. Give it to me. No. Have faith in God. This is not a quick saying. This is a commandment of understanding. You got to know him. You got to believe in him. You got to trust in him. And you got to trust him that his will for you is perfect. And whatever you see outside of his will, that goes back to his commandment. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's uh, donkey and his livestock. You, You understand what I'm saying to you? Well, God, my neighbor's got a nicer house. Why can't I have one of those? But you're missing it. Because your faith in God is predicated on what he does and not who he is. And there has to be a shift in your understanding that if you're really praying, and I love the language of this. I like the way Mark says, Matthew's good too, but I like the way Mark says this. He says, whatsoever things you desire, and these next three words are key. Now, at first glance, it looks like he's, he's just saying, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get too deep off in this, but it almost just looks like he's saying, whenever you pray, whatever you want, just ask for it. But I want you to notice the order of this, whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Because if you are a person of prayer, your desires are different. Am I helping you right now? When you, de- when you desire, I think I hear Whitney singing. When you, when you pray, your desires become different. When you're a person of prayer, you're not asking amiss. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Is this too shallow for a Wednesday night? Whatsoever things you desire when you pray. I don't believe that necessarily means the things that you desire while you're praying. Like while you're saying it. I believe that when you're a person of prayer, when you pray... There's some desires and some things that begin to come that when you go back to prayer and you start asking for those things, you're not asking for things that your flesh wants because you pray. 
Prayer is not what you do to just ask. Prayer is what you do to learn how to ask and what to ask. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We need some bold people that will pray some big, bold prayers but be willing to say to God, if it's your will, then open the door. If it's not your will, then close the door. I'm not telling you to open the door because it's what I want. I believe in you, Lord. I have faith in you. And you are the God of open doors. And you are the God of closed doors. And when I pray, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to tell you. God, if it's a closed door, I trust you. If it's an open door, I'll walk through it. And so what happens is we start pushing the limits again. And I'm coming back to Abraham because this is what faith looks like to me. And my faith sometimes looks like his train wreck faith when God gave him the promise, but he was starting to love the promise more than the God of the promise. And so he says, well, since God don't know how to bring me my promise, somebody say timing. He goes into Hagar. You know what Hagar was? She was leaves. Man, I'm trying to help somebody here right now. It was out of season. It it wasn't time for the fig. It wasn't time for the fruit. It wasn't It wasn't time for Isaac. The Lord was going to bring Isaac when he was ready to bring Isaac because everything else has to fall in place. He's not just the God of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And you just keep on going as long as you want to. He is the God of me. But everything has to happen in his time. And when he walks up to trees that are out of season, he said, Abraham, you see what you've done? You have now fallen in love With the idea of what I offer you more than you are with me. And you're willing to go outside of my will to make it happen. Because you have not been praying. You're asking. You're asking for things right now, Abraham. You're asking to do things outside of my plan and outside of my purpose for you. And now that you have taken it into your own hands, you have created a mess. And he is going to be a mighty nation. But he's going to be wild like a wild ass. He's going to be very wild. He's going to be a wild man. And he's going to wreak havoc in the earth. That's what happens when you try to bear fruit out of season. There is so much more to Mark 11 than just saying, whatever you say, when you believe in your heart, God's going to do it for you. It's going to happen. No, 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 no. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Believe God. Believe in God whether you get the promise or you don't get the promise. Believe in God so that if you say to this mountain, be removed, and you come here tomorrow and the mountain's still there, that doesn't change whether or not you believe in God. Does anybody in here believe that perhaps two or three days into the journey, Abraham was hoping that God would change his mind? Especially when your boy looks at you and says, "Uh, uh, uh, Dad, we've got fire and wood. Where's the sacrifice at? I mean, he doesn't want to look up and say, guess what, Bubby? You're it, tag. I'm getting ready to go up here and build an altar. I'm going to lay you down. God, anytime you're ready, you can move this mountain. It wasn't the will of God for the mountain to be moved. But when you got faith in God, you'll keep climbing the mountain until you get to the altar. And you'll keep pushing till the angel grabs you by the hand. Abraham already missed God once. He wasn't going to miss him again. If we can start learning lessons by what happens when we pray outside the will of God, 
then God, and this is so powerful to get in your spirit, if you'll learn your lesson by missing God that first time, Abraham, then God will see how far you'll go, but he'll always hand that promise right back to you when he realizes that you love him more than you love the promise. I'm trying to help somebody in here that's fallen in love with the promise, and your faith is in the promise and not in God. How do you know that, Pastor? Because you're disappointed when he doesn't do it. And you hold worship back on him. And you hold giving back on him. And you hold your praise back on him. Why aren't you praising God? What's wrong with you? Well, God made me mad. He didn't do what I want. So you don't have faith in God. Is that too real? I'm mad at God. Why are you mad at God? Because God didn't take that away. Well, it wasn't his will to take it away. So do you love him or do you love what he takes away? Have faith. Somebody say, have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith faith in what? In God. Have faith. Have faith in God. You know, there's one thing you're going to find out about God the further you go. I understand what people are saying. I I grew up singing songs about it. His salvation is so rich, so full and free. Yes, yes, there's... It's free to all mankind, but it's really not free. God don't just give stuff away. He expects us to be bought in. He don't just move mountains. He makes sure that if you're asking for mountains to be moved, that you have prayed enough to know that it's the will of God for the mountain to be moved. Because as we continue, he says, when you stand praying... Forgive if you have ought against him. Listen to this. Church, this will change your life right here. This is so far from prosperity doctrine. If your heart is right, the things that you start asking God for in prayer, he's going to start revealing things to you. That if you've got ought, then you've got to forgive. I deserve to be forgiven. I deserve to be forgiven. I deserve to be forgiven. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you. Now, I know that when we read through Mark 11, we can just surface read this and go right through and be like, oh, yeah, I get it now. I know exactly exactly what they're talking about. But there was something deeper in the message that Jesus was telling them that day than just ask whatever you want to ask and God will do it. Because as he begins to teach these things, they looked at him and said, Upon what authority do you teach these things? Have you all read the chapter with us this week? Like, upon what authority you do? What do you mean, upon what authority? It's not like he's just saying, Just ask me and I'll do it for you. What he's saying, there's something deep in it. And they realized that and they said, There's some authority in what this man's saying. I want to know, where's this authority come from? Whose authority are you standing on? And he says, well, I'm going to answer you about my authority in just a minute, but I have a question for you first. Was John's baptism of God or was it of man? He's like the Riddler. And they looked at each other and they said, If we say it's of God, then his next question is going to be, then why weren't you baptized? 
and if we say it's of man, and it's like right here, it just dawns on them. Look, just, just look at it right here. If we shall say of men, they feared the people. Because the men counted John as a prophet indeed. If we say it's of God, then he's going to say, why weren't you baptized? If we say it's of man, then man's going to be mad at us because they believe that he's a prophet. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. Church family, listen to me when I tell you this tonight. It wasn't that they couldn't tell. They didn't want to tell. This fulfills everything that he's talking about. He's talking about use discernment in the spirit when you ask. Use discernment. Use discernment. And so he speaks to them, and it's their moment for application of discernment, Brother Stephen Gill. It's their moment for discernment. And they start discerning in their heart. Well, if we say that it's of God, then he's going to want to know this. If we say it's of man, then the people are going to be mad at us. So watch this right here. They have to choose in this moment of discernment, do we please God? (laughs) And do you know what surfaces in their life? These are men that stand and pray every single day. You can read it for yourself. They sit in there and pray every single day. They pray, but they've got bitterness in their heart. There's unforgiveness in their heart. They don't practice discernment. And so it all of a sudden is revealed in the end of this chapter. It is revealed to Jesus and all those who are standing around watching them that they would rather have the applause of men than to please God. And when their true test, is the litmus test for them of pleasing God or pleasing man reveals their true character, and they said in their hearts, but he's a discerner of the thoughts and the hearts and the intent of the heart. All of a sudden, he realizes they would rather please man than they would God. And so he says, then I don't care about pleasing you at all. And since you can't give me an answer, I'm not giving you an answer. Because if you're not spiritual enough to want to please God, you Pharisee, then you are not spiritual enough for me to start telling you about my authority. If you understood my authority, you would have been baptized by John. Because it was John that told you where my authority came from when he stood over here in the river and he said, I baptize you with water. But there's one coming. So in this moment right here, they are, they are now either denying, denouncing, or saying, I believe that's who he is. Because if we say it's of God, then we've got to say who you are. Do you realize this whole chapter is about that one little three, uh, that, that one little verse right there? Have faith in God. Watch how that comes back full circle. Have faith in God. Why is he saying that? Because now at the end we're going to find out if you're facing God or you want to please men. And if you say that John was of God, then you're going to be baptized. And when you're baptized according to John, then you've got to buy in that this man you're picking to pieces right here, he is the Messiah. So when you pray, we can't just frivolously ask God to give us what we want him to give us and expect him to do it. Somebody say discernment. It takes discernment. It takes seeking the mind of God. It takes seeking after the heart of God. It takes having faith in God. I know some of you tonight may not be picking up what I'm putting down. Some of you may leave here and say, I have no clue what in the world he was talking about. I'm telling you tonight as I close, 
This is one of the most powerful revelations you will ever receive in your life because all of the asking part about prayer is all revealed by what your faith system is built in. And then he openly reveals it in the hearts of people who claim they are prayer warriors, but you know what they are, Bishop? They're leaves out of season. They said, we cannot tell. They lied to the Holy Ghost. We cannot tell. They already had the answer in their heart. They knew the answer. But they would rather not be honest with God because they wanted men's applause. And this is a defining line in all of our lives. One and all, old, young, doesn't matter who you are. There's going to come this moment in your life right here where you're going to decide if you would rather please God or have the applause of men. But you're not always going to have it both ways. And you got to get this in your heart, church family. I'm done. But you got to get this in your heart. All this forgiveness stuff that he's talking about in here, he talks about this in another place. When he says, if you bring your sacrifice to God, but you're not right with your brother. I'm preaching to you right here. He said, then you leave that sacrifice laying right there. And you go back over to your brother and you get it right. Because I'm not going to receive your sacrifice if you're not right with you. Well, I've got every right and I am right and that's all that matters. Then you better be careful with the sacrifice you bring. Lauren is getting ready to start driver's education and I learned a lesson you've probably heard me tell this before I think I've told it but I learned a lesson while I was in driver's education I honestly don't I don't remember anything much about what the teacher taught he was boring as watching paint dry on the wall he was a retired state trooper and it was horrible and he kind of talked through his nose like that and you're going through the intersection you got to look both ways I'm like man just let me pass the test let me drive let me do this but I learned a lesson in driver's ed but I learned it from my mother she could have saved 350 bucks and just taught me we had a 1996 Ford Taurus candy red it was beautiful we were on our way home and that Taurus from the driving academy over in Muncie my mom was letting me drive, and we came back the back way through uh, uh, Yorktown. Came all the way through, and I think she just didn't want me on the interstate, I'm pretty sure. My mom, if we'd have had a, a second break on that side, we'd have never went anywhere. Uh, my dad used to say we're on the evangelistic field. My mom had a permanent rut in the right side of the truck from hitting the brakes all the time. You, you got one in your escape, too? I didn't mean to cause strife in the home. Anyway, we, we came and we, we were coming down uh, Main Street to 60th at the four-way stop. And Brother Diaz, there was a, a man or a woman. It was bad driver, whatever it was. You take your pick. They pulled up to the four-way stop sign. I pulled up and I came to a full stop. They were at my right hand, and they pulled up after I did and did not come to a full stop. 
and just went all the way through. And I was mad, Brother Sean King. I was ticked off. I was, I'd watched my dad do that before. <laughs> he can be a little aggressive, maybe. Man, I was, I was mad. Uh, that dummy, he just ran, it was my turn to go, and he went. And my mother was better than $350 in three or four miserable weeks of sitting in, uh, what that guy's name was, class. I think it was Osborne, something like that. This, I will never forget, Brother Looper, when my mother looked at me and she said, you were right. You had a right to go. He was wrong. She said, but you can be right and be dead. If all you care about is being right, you don't know how to pray yet. But if you care about being righteous, when you pray, you'll know what to ask. And you'll forgive your brother in your heart and God will forgive you. And you're going to move on. It's going to be a Mark 11 kind of day. And when it comes time for him to look at you and say, is it of God or not? You're going to say, Lord, I believe in you. It's of you. I don't care about the applause of men in my life. I just want to please you. If you believe it, stand to your feet.